Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And i got to tell you something, people. The gentleman on my show today was on on October of 2017, and I had just moved back to the uh, Philadelphia area from L.A., and since then, man, a lot has gone on in the world. And I'm very excited to talk to him because he has a uh, he's working on his album, Dialogue. There's four songs that have come out, and I must say, uh, I listened to him, I really dug it, and celebrated together made me really happy. And he has a tour starting off in the U.S. on June 17th. And my guest is Howard Jones. How are you doing, Howard? Hi, Steve. Yeah, I'm doing good, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm great. So you're getting ready for... First, let's talk about the, the album. Um, this is the third of four albums. Tell, explain yeah. that to me. Um, yeah, well, I just decided to set myself um, a goal, really, of, of doing four albums that related to each other over a 10-year period i think i'm be, i'm a bit behind now because of covid um and they were all they're all linked together um thematically so engage was about you know we can no longer be bystanders we uh, we, we have to get involved um we, we can't just sit on the sidelines so that's engaged but transform is about well, we want to make changes. We have to start with ourselves and really work on ourselves, our behavior, our view of others, etc. Uh, this one is dialogue, and you know, and that's the way that we, you know, uniquely can communicate as human beings. Now, as far as we know, no other creatures can do that, which is have dialogues and talk to each other, and and you know, get to know each other, share our common humanity, etc. And then the final one is going to be um, Global Citizen, which is obviously about, you know, taking responsibility, not just for oneself and one's community, but like seeing, you know, seeing the whole picture of the whole world. Now, Dialogue, the album you're, you're, is coming out. Um, tell me more about some of the songs. I know I Believe in You, I think, you, was the first song you wrote during uh, lockdown. Tell me about yeah. how the lockdown affected your creativity. Um, well, it was it was it was um, a rare moment for me, to be honest. That I was able to spend a lot of time experimenting and working in the studio, and not being under any kind of time pressure to <laughs> go out on tour or something. You know, and I and I, I was able to, to to really really get my head down and work, and sort of spend a lot of time really on the songs. The only thing I didn't want to do was to write lyrics because I thought, no, this is not a good idea. Uh, you know, we're isolated. I, I am not able to see people. I, I can't go out. And I thought that the lyrics might come out a bit, bit on the depressed side. So, as you know, as you know, that's not really me to write stuff like that. So, so I thought, like, I'll hang, I'll hang loose with that until things change, and then I'll really, in a frenzy, write some very positive lyrics as we're coming out of it. So. So that was the thing. Um, so really, it was kind of amazing in one way that I had this ability to focus on my work without distraction for a long period of time. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel very grateful. You know, and that and dialogue is the is the product of that, really. Now you say distraction was that because before? I mean, I know early in your career, and a lot of people I've talked to they would get an album done and then they get stuck on tour. And then as soon as they get back, they get an album done and they get stuck on tour. Is that the kind of distractions you're talking about? Um, well, I think it's, it's, it's a bit of that, Steve, but it's also 
that because I'm an independent artist, I run my own career. I, I you know, I, I have partners that I work with, but it's about, you know, I'm, I'm driving this boat, you know, and so you get all kinds of things. There's gigs coming in, you have to decide. There's interviews coming in, you have to decide. Um, and there's, um, you know, tours to be put together, um, albums to be put together. And I like to be personal, you know, with people. I don't have representatives. I, 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 I like to talk to people and have build those relationships myself. So it all takes time and sometimes can be taking you away from what I feel I'm really meant to do, which is just try and make great music that has a positive impact on people. Now, you had said that you wrote the music and not the uh, the lyrics uh, at the, the beginning. Is is it the first time you've actually writ, written like this? I mean, what's your usual writing process before the pandemic? Because it was a scary time. I mean, we're still U.S. We're worried. We may have to, you know, we still worry. But what was your past writing experiences when you would write? Um, well, normally it would be you know the music comes along some chords that I love and maybe a few melodies floating around in my head and then once I've got that together then I work out what the mood of the piece is and then write lyrics that are appropriate to it it's always been that way I, I, I never start with lyrics it's always um, how does the music affect me how does it what direction does it take me in and then that's how I you know end up writing lyrics I that hopefully fit the mood you know well, let's, let's tell me some, about some of these songs. First of all, tell me about Celebrate It Together. I, that, that just puts me in a really good mood. I listen to it. It, it has it has a, a, just a great feel, and it's, it's sort of, it feels, you know, back a little bit of 80s, but then it's modern and is in between. Tell me about that song, because uh, where did it come from? Uh, what, what's it about? Yeah, well, lyrically, it, uh, obviously, that's the, the most important part of it to me, but I wanted to write the most positive, uplifting song that I'd ever written. And I, I've kind of been known for quite a few of those, I think, in the past. But I wanted this one to surpass all of them. Because we've all been through trauma, basically. Um, and, you know, with the, with the pandemic, and I thought, you know, let's celebrate the fact now that we can actually look each other in the eye and we can meet again and we can, you know, isn't it great to have survived the, the literal medical side of it you know great to be alive and I was thinking don't hold back on that stuff because I reckon there's lots of people will feel like they need a boost you know and and lie like I did and so I wanted to like pack it with like you know immense positivity and you know I think that and I and uh, I started the song an idea from my friend BT who who, who, um, who sent me a beat, I think, and, and um, I think a bass line, and I, and I then ran with that and developed it into, you know, celebrate it together. And, you know, it's funky, because I love funky music, but I, I, I love melody, and I like sometimes songs that don't go off on a tangent in the middle like I normally do. I always have, like, middle eight or multiple middle eights in different sections. But this one, I wanted it to be much more linear so that you could just groove to it and you, you wouldn't have to lose, you know, lose the groove. So, yeah, I mean, I'm always trying to do something, something new. And, um, but the main thing of that one was absolutely to celebrate our 
are, are you know being alive and seeing each other again and how wonderful that is and how much we missed it and yeah now what explain to me what okay the pandemic you know it, it comes up now were you on tour or or what happened and I mean, because as I, you know, you're, this is in your blood. You've been performing for years. Your crowds love yeah. you. What was it? What do you remember when they said, Howard, you can't, you can't do anything right now. I mean, were you on tour or had you just gotten done tour or what happened? No, we were, we were in the middle of a tour in the States. It was the trio tour, you know, my acoustic trio, uh, Nick Beggs and Robin Bolt with me. And as we were, I think we were half, I think I don't know, probably about 40, 45 dates or something. We were sort of halfway through, and we started noticing that the that the hotels were mysteriously quite empty, <laughs> and, and and then we were getting rumours that gigs were 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 were, were about to be cancelled, and we we're hearing all this stuff on the radio, and and we're all saying. Ah, oh, no, it's nothing. You know, we'll 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 just we'll carry on. We'll soldier on through. But then it suddenly dawned on us that we might get stranded in America if there was a lockdown, and we wouldn't be able to fly back. Gigs were being cancelled, so it was. We thought, well, let's get let's get back home as soon as we can to our families, and that's what we did. And fortunately, we were able to fulfil most of the gigs just recently um but yeah so it was really so you know get get the first flight home now how did you come up with a trio uh the trio tour because i know you're also going to be doing it i believe in uh in the uk later after the u.s tour yeah. right yeah yes that's so, right. so where did that come from that's such you know because everyone thinks of you you know as you're howard jones you know you're electronic you know great music just up music and then you hear a, cues, uh, a, a trio, acoustic trio. Where did that idea come from, and 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 was it really fun for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm thinking of it now that I've got three strands to my work. Um, one is the purely electronic, like you know, the last uh, engaged transformant and dialogue is, and then there's my the other side where it's much more um, acoustic based and song based pianos you know i played the piano since i was seven you know uh, musicians in the room with me and expressing themselves but there's, so there's that second strand and then the third strand is my piano compositions which i'm really getting serious about now and i was working on a lot of those during, during lockdown as well so i think that all three of them i need to do all three of them to sort of satisfy uh, myself um, and luckily the fans sort of come along with me on this and they they obviously have you know an eclectic sense of what music they like um, and so and, and my friend BT said you know you can run those three projects in tandem so you get stuck with something on the electronic side go to the the piano compositions and then if you get stuck with that go to your songwriting stuff and I found that to be really good advice, and I was able to work these three strands at the same time, and that and that's kind of worked for me very well. Now you know you talked about the piano, and I recently watched your uh, clip from Live Aid, which you came out and you just you played piano. Tell me about the Live Aid thing, because I personally, whenever I hear stories from artists who have been there, 
I, I just, I, I, I wish I had gone. It was in Philadelphia. I couldn't make it. I was like, <laughs> I, was, I was like down the Jersey Shore, and I'm like, eh, you know, and I'm so pissed at myself years later for not going. But tell me about your uh, the Live Aid experience because these stories fascinate me. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty amazing. Um, I had missed out on on the on the Band Aid single, and I really felt that I should have been part of that. And for whatever circumstances, I was busy or nobody asked me or I didn't push to be on it or uh, whatever it was. So I, I thought, oh, I mean, I really would have wanted to, I wanted to contribute to that. And then we heard about Live Aid and I thought I have to be involved with this. It's like, this is the most important event of this decade. It's for an amazing cause. And I, I just, I absolutely was determined to be involved in some way. I and mean, in the end, I did one song, you know. And we were on tour in America. I can- cancelled a couple of shows and flew back. And, you know, we actually flew back with my backing singers, Aphrodisiac, you know, the um, amazing ladies who were accompanying me on tour. And we were going to do an, um, an a cappella song as well. So we all... You know, I wanted to do it in London because, you know, this is where I live. This is my home um, rather than go to um, Philadelphia. So so there we were um, that day. And, you know, Phil Collins was just before me um, and he'd done something at the piano. And, uh, and then he said to me as he came up, he said, you know, watch out, Howard, you know, the piano, there's some stuff. There's some notes down the bottom of the piano that are a bit, you know, a bit, st- bit stiff, and <laughs> what? And what, I was that was really good advice, but it actually made me like ten times more nervous than, <laughs> than I already was. Um, so anyway, I went out and played the song a little bit fast, if you if you if you know my work, you know, because of the blood pressure and heartbeat rate that was going on. Uh, and I got to the chorus, and the whole of Wembley joined in with me on that chorus. And it was like, I, the euphoria of that moment has stuck with me all these years. It was just incredible. And I felt from then on, I felt like I was sailing. I was uh, having an out-of-body experience with this, you know, 100,000 people in Wembley singing the song with me and supporting me and supporting the whole idea of Live Aid. Um, it was just, it was just brilliant, and you know, I got to see some incredible performances by other artists. You know, and, you know, the, the most memorably, I suppose, would be the Queen performance, which just was like uh, off the scale. Um, I met David Bowie. I, I, I talked with, uh, with uh, McCartney and Linda, and honestly, it was like, if it was to end there, I'd be a happy man. You know, it was. A, <laughs> Such a great thing. Well, what is that like? I mean, when you're talking to these these people, these legends, and you're a young guy, but and but you're they're a peer because you're on the show and you're doing it for a great cause. I mean, did you get nervous like like with meeting David Bowie? I mean, you know, especially and you're from you know from you know yeah. we were playing England. I mean, what is it like to sit there and all of a sudden? You're, are you like, oh my god, I'm meeting David Bowie? I mean, I mean that must have been pretty intense. Well, it, it was very intense because I was walking towards the, where the artists were al- al- allowed to sit and watch the show. I think I'd done my piece by then. And and there was a guy, you know, standing at the... I, I think it was at the bar. He was, you know, drinking water or something. He, 
he turned around and he said, hello, Howard. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This David Bowie, he, he actually knows who I am. I was like, and he said, I hear you're doing really well in America. <laughs> David Bowie knows, knows that I'm doing well in America. I, I, I'm so freaked out, really. It was so wonderful, and I've kept that memory going. But I have another story about him that day which was that backstage, I was rehearsing with my backing singers I told you about. We were gonna do one of my songs called um, Life in One Day as, as an a cappella song. And, and the dressing room was really small and quite hot that day. So we came outside onto the grass to just run through it, you know, and sort of get our voices warmed up and everything. And David Bowie and Pete Townsend came out of their dressing rooms to listen to us. And they stood about one meter away, you know, and they listened to the whole song. And we never got to actually perform that song on the stage because they'd run out of time. You know, it was like everyone was going over and there was no time for us to do that second song. And the girls were so, you know, upset. We traveled all the way from America to do this and, and they wanted to be part of it. But I said to them, look, we got to perform to two of my absolute heroes here. Um, so for me, it was like, I'd have been out just with that. You know? So, um, yeah, that was great. That was a great moment. So many things happened that day. Now, you went back to the UK to do that, but you were touring America. Did you, where did you start taking off first, the UK or America? And then, you know, you were at the time of, of MTV, which helps too, but where did you yeah. really start, like, getting popular first? Yeah, it was it, it was the UK first. Um, radio really supported me, and I was with Warner Brothers, who absolutely got behind me one hundred percent. They kind of they really realised that they had something with me, which I'm so fortunate and grateful for. And um, you know, we got we we, was, we played on the radio. My first single went to number three, um, and I did all kinds of TV and stuff like that. But because I had, because I'd grown up in North America um, for about three or three or four years when I was between the ages of nine and fourteen, I lived in Canada, but I was listening to American radio and British radio, and I felt really connected to North America. And I always had this ambition that I I would do, I wanted to do well in America. So I think that determination made us decide that we were going to tour, you know, start with the clubs just like we had in the UK and uh, um, but in America and, and go and see all the radio stations and really put the work in to to connect with the, the American audience. And it really worked for me. You know, I ended up playing Madison Square Garden in the end, you know, and, and the Forum in LA and all those amazing experiences that I had. So... America has always been my biggest place, you know, it's, um, still still today. It's um, stuck with me all this time. And so, um, you know, uh, you know, the British scene, it's all very, you know, they give you your spotlight for a while and then, you know, off you go, go off around the rest of the world and we'll, we'll get on with the new artists, which I think is, is good, actually, it's a good thing. But for me, um, America, you know, people have really stuck with me and I'm, incredibly grateful for that so yeah 
I gotta, you know, I love, I love the song. Things can only get better. So you know, it's one of those songs. It's you know, because a lot of your music is just very uplifting, as we said. And, and people, when you get the new album, listen to celebrate it together because you'll put you in a good mood. Tell me where that song came from, because I always wonder where, where you know, were you going through a bad time, or tell me where that the lyrics from that song came from. Well. Again, I had to write the second album on tour, going back to the very first thing that you were saying. There was no time to go home and spend six months writing. I'd written the first album. The first album was all ready to go. Boom. Six weeks in the studio as we were done. But the second album had to start from scratch. And I was doing a lot of touring. It was like 18 months or something. We were on the road. So I had to write on the road. I just had to. Otherwise, it was all going to collapse. Um, so I, every night, the audiences were just amazing, and, and the energy in the in the, in the gigs I was doing was absolutely incredible. I don't know how you could not get very excited about that. And so, the, things like you know, things to learn to get better came out of that. I thought, well, you know, people love to sing along, so they like the you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. you know, they they love to sing along with me and I I really you know determined that I was going to write songs that would be uplifting and songs that would help the, the listener to get over a difficult part of their life when things were going wrong everything was falling apart um, and you get this song on the radio and suddenly it just gives you that little boost that gets you over the hump and then you're off again, you're flying again. So um, that was the, the whole, the, you know, the whole the whole purpose of that song. And, and, and also to be, express my own anxieties as well. You know, do, do you feel scared? I do, you know, I was in the, in the middle of this crazy pop um, world and, you know, it might disappear at any moment and, you know, do you feel scared? I do, but I won't stop and falter. You know, I'll keep going because I believe that things can only get better. So that was... What was it like, you know, at that time, you, when you're hitting the success, you're, you're hitting big success, and you said you had to write the album. What is going through your mind? I mean, you know, people are starting to recognize you, because I, too, also in the 80s had great hair. I'm bald now. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, and you were on MTV, so people saw you. What was it like for you? Because, you know, you're, you're, you're a nice guy, you know. Um, you come over to America, you're getting hits. People are recognizing you. Do you feel like the walls are closing in on you, or what's that like to experience that? I think um, because I was a bit older, I didn't get signed until I was 28. If I'd have been 10 years younger, I think it would have been a different story. So I had a really great, strong relationship uh, with my wife, Jan. I had great friends that had started with me when we were playing the most crummy gigs you could possibly imagine, you know, um, and struggling to get heard and, and, and to build an audience. But they've been with me since since those days. And I, I was surrounded by those people still. You know, I didn't suddenly ditch them and, like, get, like, these superstar people who, you know, worked for the Stones or whatever, you know. You know, we did it. We, we played Madison Square Garden with the, with the same team that I worked with 
when we were playing tiny clubs in the UK, you know, and I was very proud of that. And so I was surrounded by people who weren't going to put me on a pedestal. They weren't going to, they knew where I came from. You know, I was doing a, doing a fruit and vegetable round and working in a factory. They, that's where we came from. So I, I didn't get above myself, if you know what I mean. I didn't, I wasn't allowed by my friends to get carried away with all the great side of doing what, what, what you know, what I did. So, yeah, so I feel very fortunate and, um, and I think that's how I survived it. You know, it's funny, the 80s, we were very fashionable. Now, did, was your sense of fashion uh, from you or did you have someone dressing you? Because you always looked on that, you always looked sharp. And, and, and that's what I love, like, you know, like any of the artists that came over from the UK in the 80s always looked good. They dressed perfectly. You know, they were to the nines. Did you de develop your own style or did someone coach you into that or how did that come from? No, that was completely me. Um, that was absolutely coming from me and it still is now. Um, it's like, to me, it's like another part of creativity and saying to people, you know, please don't be afraid to be who you really are, you know, go for it. Don't hide away um, in the dark, <laughs> you know, be who you really are. And I feel that, you know, obviously you want to look, you want to look sharp and you want to, um, you know, make an effort to how you, how you, how you come across. But at the same time, it, it is, it is a statement of saying, I've been really fortunate. I don't have to work in a factory anymore, and I, I'm not work, I'm not a bank manager, or I, I've got this role to be an extrovert, and for us to have a great time together, you know, with the music and the, and the, and the shows. So I was going to take full advantage of that, you know. So yeah, it was always it always it was always coming from me, and um, although you know, yeah, whatever people thought, uh, that was me. <laughs> Well, it was a great look. Now, you, you wore hats. I'm a big hat guy now. I didn't wear hats back then, but you, you wore hats. You were wearing great hats back then. Um, no one, uh, I got to ask you, no one is to blame. That's one of the songs I love also, too. Where did that come from? Because that's, that's, got, a, that's got a nice feel to it, too. Yeah. Um, okay, No One Is To Blame was on the Dream Interaction album, and I wrote that again while I was touring around. I, I was with a... A record company guy from Electra Records who I was with in America and he was taking me to radio stations around San Francisco he says to me hey Howard um what do you think of all the amazing women here in, in San Francisco and, and I said you know yeah they they're amazing uh, like women all around the world I was being very diplomatic about it um and he said you know and I said you know I'm really happy I've got my jam you know I'm, 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 my relationship is just you know, the rock of my life. And um, he said, yeah, but you can look at the menu, but you don't have to eat. <laughs> and me, me, you know, little boy from High Wycombe in, uh, in Buckinghamshire, I'd never heard that expression before, and I thought it was amazing. And al although I used it in a different way, the song, it, it, it just set me off on this course of, 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 that, of writing that song. And it's a song about, you know, you have to decide what you want in life. You know, you can play the field and, you know, have loads of different relationships and, and, and partners, but there will be a price to pay for that. Um, you won't be able to have that one special 
super trusting, um, you know, uh, relationship that is, you know, was, is so precious to me. Um, so I wanted to explore that in that song. But people have interpreted it in so many different ways. Um, and that's what I like. And I'm still thinking about the ways, different ways you can, you can interpret it as well. So, um, yeah, that's that story. So you have a tour coming up. You're coming to the States, which is wonderful. And it's starting June 17th. Um, I know you're, are you friends with Midge? Because, you know, it's funny. I saw you years ago in the, uh, in the Futuramas tour in, at the Greek Theater in L.A. It was you, it was Midge, it was uh, the gentleman from the Thompson Twins, and it was Katrina. Uh, do you have a relationship with Midge for, for a long time, or, or how does that come about? Yeah, no, Mitch is one of my best friends Friends in, in this business. I don't really have many friend, you know, people I would call real friends, but Mitch is one of them. Um, he, he lives not too far away from me. And he lives up in Bath. And so I see him a lot. And every time, you know, we've done a lot of things together. And I think he's a most amazing man. And I've so, so much respect, not just for his music and everything he's done, but the integrity of the of the man and the and he's so funny. He's great to be around. He's he's a he's a he's a brilliant person. So it's a real honour to have him come with us. You know, on tour. Honestly, it really is. And um, I've told him that. So I'm gonna we're gonna I'm gonna really look after him on the tour. He's so, gonna have a. So what can we expect from this tour? You know, are, are, we gonna, are you going to put some new stuff? I mean, it's once again, you know, you, you were locked down and then you were in a trio, but now you're coming out. You know, it's Howard Jones on tour. And uh, and I've seen you at concert. You're a great showman and you put good stuff on. I actually saw you with Ringo Starr and the All-Star Band back at oh. Universal Amphitheater years ago in L.A. Um, what can people expect from the tour? I mean, you know, when you sit there, what, what, are we, what can we expect when you're coming out? We're going to have a mix of hits or what's going on? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play the hits that people really, really want to hear. Of course, I will do that. I'll be playing two or three songs from the new album, um, Dialogue, and and one of them will be Celebrated Together, which we yes. talked about. And then in the middle, we do a little acoustic section because Robin and Nick Beggs are with me in the band, so we we have a little part of the stage where we do bass, guitar, and piano. And we do a few of the songs um, there, and we do Nick Beggs wrote "Too Shy" because you know from because you know, he was in the band Kajagugu. So we do a cool acoustic version of that, and um, so it's it's kind of a mix of, of things. And then I'm really hoping that I can invite Midge on on, on stage, and we can do something together as well. So there, um, it's going to be a, a fun tour. Uh, you know, it always is. You know, going out to play live. What, what a lucky man I am to be doing this job. You know, I love it. And what do you have, what, what do you think of your crowds? Like, it's great because it's a testament. You know, as I, I always love the '80s, and I'm I'm, a, I'm 58, and it was in my generation, college and high school, and I've been going to a lot of shows of '80s bands, and the crowds are so strong. And I'll tell you, as we get older, we get stronger and we have more fun. But what what do you see when you see your crowds? I mean, I'm sure you see parents with their kids or grandkids. I mean, what is it like for you to feel that you've touched this generation, just generations? Yeah, I, I love it when people tell me that their kids are really into into my music. Uh, and 
I, I'm blown away by that. And I, I celebrate when I see a young person in the audience because it means that the, the music has translated, you know, it's gone further than just my core, my core generation, you know, and that's, oh, I think, wow, what a privilege that is for young people to be discovering the, the work as well, you know. So, yeah, I'm very, very happy to see that. Well, you know what? I want to thank you. I know we only had a half an hour today, but I'm glad we got to spend the time. Um, people, go check out Howard when he's on tour. Go to his website, howardjones.com. It has everything. And it has, you can listen to the, uh, two of the new tracks from his new album. And when's the album going to be done? Do you know? Um, well, we, we are, it is going to be available on the tour. Um, and then it will be available to everyone around in September when we get back. So, so yeah, it's it, 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 we you know if you come to the shows, you will be able to buy that. That'll be the only place you can you can get it at the moment. You know, um, we really struggled to get that to happen, but we think we've done it now. Well, that's awesome. So, so people, please go see Howard. Uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 900 episodes there. Email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. Uh, Twitter, at coopertalk. Instagram, at coopertalk1. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.